Hello everyone, it's another beautiful day in the apocalypse. Welcome back to your weekly hit of black market medicine, or as I sometimes like to say, a profound spiritual awakening in the form of an average white woman's podcast called Tales of Taboo. My name is Allie Weiss. For those of you who are new here, I am a downtown New York Z-list actress, writer, professional conversationalist who is obsessed with all people, experiences, careers, and ideas outside the bounds of what society considers traditionally acceptable or accessible or quote-unquote normal. So each week, I invite my audience and their friends, and sometimes even their friends of friends, to share their unconventional life stories behind the shield of complete anonymity. So the result of that is half actually important investigative journalism and half fluffy daytime television. And producing it is the absolute honor of my life. This week, we are talking about high-end escorts. And I feel really strongly about this because I absolutely despise this widespread idea that every woman who openly pursues a career in the sex industry must be deeply damaged and traumatized, either sexually or emotionally. Like it's this idea that only a woman who lacks respect for herself would monetize her sexuality. And look, of course, this can be a motivating factor. Of course, women with damaged self-esteem make controversial decisions regarding sex, but it's really not that different from the way that women who are sexually and emotionally traumatized choose to pursue careers as models or actresses or housewives of rich but like absentee or even abusive men. Monetizing sexuality to overcome trauma is everywhere if you know what to look for. It's just that in the sex industry, it's overt and sometimes literal rather than um, the way that it's implied in entertainment and advertising. And what I'm excited for you to hear from this week's anonymous, actually with one non-anonymous contributor, is that many of these women became escorts for the same reason that people decide to become doctors or lawyers instead of following their dreams to become like artists, which is to have enough money to pay the exorbitant cost of living in modern times. And with escorts, they go beyond just doing that. They actually become very, very independently wealthy on their own terms literally from fucking the patriarchy. And I've had conversations with my mom, who I love, about escorting through the lens of so-called feminism. And she and I have a hard time seeing eye to eye. My mom is a lawyer and she climbed the corporate ladder in the 80s when it was like impossible to be taken seriously in that world as a woman. So in order for her to do that, she was basically required to squash all of her femininity from from her femininity from her emotions to what she wore and yet she still faced constant sexual harassment and obviously she's open minded i mean she raised me but my mom sees escorting as taking multiple steps backwards in the stride for gender equality And she sees it as playing into traditional stereotypes of women as physical objects who are available for purchase. And, you know, I don't blame her for this. It's it's not an uncommon view. And escorting is an illegal profession and there's so much stigma surrounding it. And especially, you know, she's a woman from a different generation. Like sometimes that can be used as a cop-out, but it's also true. Times were different then. But her her view is surface level and it's outdated because this is the way that I think about it. Western society dictates that money is power. And as we all well know at this point, there's a massive wage gap and men out-earn women considerably. We also know that for all the strides we may have taken, 
women still are not protected from hypersexualization in any industry. Hence why every single day, it seems on the news, there's a report of people coming out, calling out powerful men for harassing them in the workplace. And for women to consciously capitalize on a pre-existing dynamic that seems inescapable, using this highly fetishized and desired like feminine prowess in order to take large quantities of money from men and put it back in the hands of women, or not back, but put it in the hands of women, period. I'm sorry, it actually doesn't get more feminist than that. As I said, that is literally fucking the patriarchy. Plus, as you'll hear, the majority of sex work is actually not about sex. It's actually about escapism and finding a a meaningful sense of connection and the freedom to be yourself outside the constraints that society puts on all of us, not just women, but also men as fathers and as CEOs and, and, and what the definition of like manhood really is. I want to clarify, there are many paths and perspectives within the sex industry and even within escorting itself, and not all of them are good. But I chose to focus this episode on high-earning women with high-powered clientele, specifically to emphasize the fact that there is a large subset of sex workers who enter this world consensually and who love their work and whose work has literally given them the world. Plus these previously like totally unattainable lifestyles. Sex work is work. Sex work can be consensual. Sex work can even be enjoyable for some people. Imagine that. So legalize it, please. And without further ado, this is Tales of Taboo. Written submission number one. I worked in the restaurant industry in California, which is one of the most exploitative industries out there, for many years, doing every position and climbing the ladder as much as I could, and I was deeply unsatisfied. I found the hours to be unhealthy and really unrewarding. The concept of delivering and preparing food and drink for people is a very beautiful thing, but when you're a cog in the machine fulfilling someone else's dream, being worked to the bone, it can leave you unfulfilled. I pivoted towards sex work when a friend told me about seeking arrangements. Back then, it was pretty lit, so I supplemented my life with random dates, saved enough money to move to New York, and then started doing it professionally. I find most of my clients through social media, advertising sites, and word of mouth. When I first started, I was fortunate enough to be contacted by a decent agency. I actually ended up dating the guy who ran it, and we began working together. He was a bi-male provider, so we did duos for a while. That was a mixed bag of hot and gross experiences. I don't remember much. But I do remember everything feeling new and exciting. I ended up making him fall in love with me, got his cut of my pay down from 50% to 20%, then dumped him shortly after. I thought it was gross that he profited from my sexual labor, and he agreed. I was extremely lucky with that situation because I've heard some horror stories. We're cool now. Working independently for me is the way to go, although I did miss the ease of having so much help and the safety of having people know exactly where I was and who I was with. I don't tell people what I do until I trust them. I just don't think anyone is entitled to know what you do in intimate spaces. Like, I think it's weird that people put such emphasis on coming out in any realm of sex. I don't believe sex work or the title of sex worker is particularly empowering. I do believe it's important to the narrative to dispel any myths about the work, but I also don't feel comfortable going around talking about how feminist or empowering the work is because it's work. I will, however, say there is an element of danger that makes you feel solidarity to your fellow co-workers. Financial security is empowering too, so if you're able to do the job and stay secure and safe, then yes, by all means it's empowering, but just how any other job is. I've been approached in the wild by potential clients but have never gone through with it. I hate negotiations and I don't like having to verbally tell someone how much I expect. I want that taken care of in writing beforehand, through my encrypted email, with your ID on file. 
I don't play games when it comes to my sexual energy, and I want the experience to be carefree and light. Sounds counterintuitive, but I feel that discussing things beforehand allows me to be the best version of myself and helps provide the best possible experience for the both of us. Also, I'm afraid of rejection and hate being told no. But I know a lot of people who only pick up their clients in the wild and find that anonymity to be preferable to each their own. There have been some situations where I don't feel I asserted my boundaries enough. I remember this client was being particularly rough with me and for some reason I thought I could handle it and didn't say anything until I started crying. We stopped and he was very gentle and concerned. Then we continued as soon as I was ready and afterward when we were talking I apologized and he said, oh my god, don't apologize, that was beautiful, it was real, you can't buy vulnerability like that. At the time I didn't process it but then later I was like, what the fuck? The craziest experience had to be when I was working with the agency. I didn't know who was going to be behind the door, and I wasn't really briefed too much. I was just told he was easy. So I opened the door, and in comes what I can only describe as a life-sized garden gnome. He was wearing head-to-toe black and red, with like matching half-red and black shoes, and a full three-piece red and black suit and some sort of hat. And he had the nose and everything. He was very animated and very like whimsical in the way he spoke. And I remember him just asking me a million questions about myself and having such funny energy. I was laughing the whole time. He only wanted to cuddle and it put me into this weird trance. I remember feeling so good. Maybe it was just relief that I didn't have to fuck him or something. I've also been on a private plane once with the air of a hotel family. It was kind of a nightmare experience because he was fucked up on drugs and would fall asleep at the dinner table. But I got to meet a lot of amazing people and have the penthouse and the pool free to invite my friends when he nodded off in his room. It was during Art Basel, and this guy is kind of a high-profile art collector, so the day we went to the Basel Fair, it was the royal treatment. He was also toting around a fucking Basquiat he was trying to sell that he kept in the closet, unwrapped. The time we spent together, he slept and would wake up and we'd watch Wheel of Fortune and guess the answers for Family Feud. Then he would send me home in a Rolls Royce Phantom with his assistant and I'd pull up to my little Brooklyn walk-up in this car. I'd never seen true wealth until I started making out calls and seeing how rich people really lived in NYC. Race is a major issue in sex work. I'm Mexican indigenous from both of my parents and grew up in Mexico. In the world of sex work, we are definitely a category and will never earn as much as white workers, mostly because of porn having such an influence. It's not so much that I've been discriminated against, it's that there's a cap to my earnings. I also know for a fact that this job is easier and safer for white women. Women of color do have to work a lot harder and have higher standards set on them for lower earnings. It's just a fact. The sex itself is all over the place. I'm a master of dissociation, so a lot of it I don't really remember. It's kind of like hooking up with a friend with benefits versus a crush or someone you like. I'm also focused on doing a good job and providing an experience and performance rather than my own pleasure. You have to look good, you have to think about safety and angles, etc. I love duos and group sex as I feel like it's a lot more fun and the focus is dispersed among various people. But it is surprising how little sex is actually involved and how much talking this job is. A lot of clients just want to feel alive and desired, to have a connection with somebody that won't ruin their life with attachment. I can tell when somebody hasn't been touched in a while, and to me, that's part of how I justify their mindset. I've seen married clients, but the majority of people I see are not in relationships. They're simply too busy or too awkward or just like dating a little bit out of their league. I don't think all clients are unhappy in their home. It is possible to have relationships in conjunction with work, but boy, is it hard. I've had a longtime boyfriend who was really cucked by it and wanted to like hear about it so it wasn't an issue with him. But the majority of partners I've had have had a really hard time. I'm very monogamous and really do believe in the sanctity of union. I used to have a very fuck you attitude and think if they don't like it, that's their problem. But having dated a sex worker and just knowing what the job entails, I wouldn't... Oh, I lost my place. 
But having dated a sex worker and just knowing what the job entails, I wouldn't want the mother of my future children sleeping with random strangers. And that's a compromise. If my partner is willing to supplement the financial loss and help guide me into a life that is just as fulfilling with the same lifestyle expectations, there wouldn't be a point to keep working. I love the job, but it does wear on you. The idea of a more traditional life is definitely appealing. I feel a little burnt out, but mostly just find myself repeating old patterns. I want to have more of a routine and stay in one place. I want to prepare myself for the next phase of my life and do the things I wish I had the time to do before. Hotels and champagne and designer drugs and clothes and lingerie is fun, yes, but so is like planting a garden or making jam. I don't think I'd recommend sex work to anyone unless I really knew them well. It takes a lot of street smarts and or extreme privilege to avoid trauma and be successful. My one piece of advice is to keep a written record of your encounters and do your research. Research everything you can, find our profiles, follow us, and read our websites before even considering putting yourself out there. And if you have other options, do that first. Live a rich, full life. That way you have something to talk about and the quality and caliber of your experiences with clients will be better. But do the other things first. I am here to share a little story about my time as an escort in Washington, D.C. I started looking for, you know, extra gigs online. And at the time, Craigslist was great for it because of the shows that were shooting a mere hour from D.C. On one of my days looking on there, I stumbled upon something that said, you know, looking for gorgeous, smart, you know, talented and driven girls it's a tip-based job, earn up to $3,000 a day. I reached out to people and it was ran by two guys and a girl and they were like, listen, we're this agency and basically what you do is you give massages with happy endings. They're like, don't worry though, you know, you don't, you don't have sex with these people. You don't do anything more than a full body rub down with a little jerk off. I quickly learned, no, most of those people are like, um, here's another few hundred. Why don't you, you know, give me head or I'll give you $2,000 if you have sex with me and always say yes. I kind of had a standard because some of these guys were just gross. I didn't trust some of them, but every once in a while, a real good looking one came in and I was like, okay, yes. One, I literally don't know if you'd ever sleep with me if you weren't paying me into you're just so hot so absolutely and then one day I got a client who was a lot different than all the others he had more expensive clothes he had a lot of things that I was like why would you be coming here and as we talked when I was giving him services he was like I really don't get why you would only work here. You have to work somewhere else, right? And I was like, no, like, this is easy for me. Like, the other people who work here are nice. It's a, you know, a pretty decent setup. And he was like, listen, let me give you my number. Why don't you reach out to me? I'm going to take you somewhere that's an even better opportunity for you. A couple weeks later, I reached out and he was like, listen, I want you to meet me in D.C., We're going to go to this place and you need to put your, you know, political party aside because you are about to make so much money. So I met him at a place called Capitol Hill Club. Think of like a basically a Soho house for Republican men. So he was like, you're going to meet me outside here. You need to kind of dress cute with a little bit of slutty with a little bit of professional. I showed up in just, you know, like a nice black dress, good shoes, good hair. And he was like, this is great. Let him see, you know, that you're classy and you're not going to give him anything, which I was like, okay. I mean, are they expecting a escort to come? And they're like, no, they're expecting someone who is smart, witty, and knows how to shut their mouth. It was strange. And every man you spoke to, it was, you know, like an interview. They wanted to see, you know, could you be discreet? I obviously could. I 
didn't want people to know I was, you know, getting railed by Republican men. <laughs> they're, they're not my preferred type. Every week or so, I'd be linked with a new guy. And the first one, I'll give him a pseudonym. His name was Sean. He's pretty young. He was in trouble in the last year for some stuff. But he was young and he was the first to grab onto me. When Sean took me on our first date, we went to the Capitol Hill Club again, but into a more private room. There were strict rules about no reporters. Nothing could get out what they would talk about there. At the end of the dinner, nothing was exchanged. And he was like, well, let me give you a gift, you know. And he was like, but you know, you don't need to open it here. You know, open it when you get home. And I opened it and there was $1,000 in cash. And I just kind of knew I didn't have to sleep with this man yet. I didn't have to do anything. And I got $1,000. So what am I gonna get when I go all the way? But then it just started getting more intense. Once it came to having sex with these guys, I realized I was very much out of my league. Sexual preferences that I had definitely didn't match up with some of these men. Asking them to call them daddy and pretend I was a lot younger than I was. And morally, yeah, did I feel a little weird about it? Did I think, okay, this person's probably a creep? Absolutely. But I would have sex with them and get a few grand. After Trump was elected, this whole new wave of politicians would come in. And some of these Republicans that I knew, they were gone. They left. They were like, my term's up. Someone's coming to replace me. You know, it was fun knowing you. And it was kind of bittersweet because I was like, I hate your personalities. Shit, I'm going to be broke. I was not prepared for the wave of what Trump would bring for me and my business. The Republicans pre-Trump had a little bit more discretion. They knew that a picture says a thousand words. There just had to be one person who recognized me. And that's when it really went downhill. These men want to start bringing me to events. A big thing in DC is Fight Night, which is a charity. And the first time a man wanted me to go with them to that, I knew I was screwed. Everyone was going to start finding out that these people couldn't keep a secret. Sure, were men paying me for sex? Absolutely. But, I mean, that's kind of life. People get paid to sell you a wedding dress. People get paid to make money off of your happiness all the time. So why shouldn't I be afforded the same opportunity? I know that the common thought process should be when I say, you know, do I regret what I did or anything like that? You know, like, you know, how do I sleep at night knowing I fucked people for money? I sleep great because I bought very expensive linens and a very expensive mattress, which is very comfortable. It was able to afford me to live in a really great apartment. And most importantly, every morning when I wake up and I get ready for work, my normal job now, I see all my expensive and nice clothes that I bought myself. There's nothing dirty about how I got my money. I didn't have to do it. I could easily have afforded life on what I was making at my regular jobs. But I don't want to just have a normal, regular life. Okay, my angels, for anyone who's been following or listening to me for a while, you'll know that my clonopin usage from ADHD and anxiety has become kind of a running joke. Hilariously, a lot of you have begged me to try CBD as a healthier replacement, which has distinct overprotective Jewish mom energy, and I'm here for it. The thing is, I have tried so many products over the past few years, and none of them were strong enough for me, which made me feel really discouraged and also mm, insane. But I recently tried Feels, spelled F-E-A-L-S, and I swear to God, this is the only brand that actually works well enough to reduce my anxiety and my pill usage. The packaging is also super glamorous because we all know that matters, and they have a customer service team willing to answer literally any question you have about CBD as it relates to your health. 
I swore I would never promote CBD on this show, but I know a lot of you are also struggling with your mental health and I want to help. So if you become a Feels member, I hooked it up for you to get 50% off your first order. Not 10%, not 20%, but 50% off your first order. Go to feels.com slash w to become a member. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash w and get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Trust me and you're welcome. So I've been escorting for about 16 years based between Chicago and New York City. When I started working, it was during the global financial crisis of 07, 08. I think a lot of us have almost forgotten just how absolutely dire it was back then. Like so many other people in the economy, I had lost my job and then I lost my apartment, was evicted. And this led to a period of being homeless and experiencing food insecurity. So when I started escorting, I was doing street-based survival sex work. Survival sex work is a specific designation. Online defines it as a form of prostitution engaged in by people due to extreme need. So this is people who are homeless and otherwise disenfranchised in society, trading sex for food, a place to sleep, drugs, monetary compensation, and other basic needs. When I started doing survival sex work, what it looked like for me was unsafe working conditions, meeting truckers at way stations and doing car dates on the west side of Chicago. And it looked like being exploited by my friends, people who were offering me a place to crash for a couple days and making me a hot meal so long as I gave up some pussy. You really wind up finding out who your people are when you're in a position of need. People who are disenfranchised don't have the ability to advocate for themselves. I don't think at the time I had the language to be able to name that as exploitive. I remember thinking to myself, man, you ain't right. That is not right. Across the year that I was doing survival work, I only resorted to doing an exchange with a friend a couple times. I'd rather work on the street. So I was placing ads on message boards, Craigslist, then Backpage. And at the time, you could actually still place ads in newspapers. You have to remember, this is only a few years after AOL chat rooms. Social media had not evolved yet, so there was no high-end escort community, no networking. It just, it didn't exist yet. And so I was really coming in blind. I had no idea of what I was doing. I just knew that I had to survive. So I had my library card, I had my bus card, and I had the free condoms from the program that offered free HIV testing for people in street economies. And so I went like that for a while. I've remained independent throughout my entire career, meaning I never worked for anyone else, never worked with an agency. And one of the things I think is most interesting that has shifted the most in the sex industry is how we find clients. It used to be that escorts had to rely heavily on placing daily and weekly ads on message boards and advertising sites, whereas now it's more important to have a really strong brand identity online. Being a sex worker is being a small business owner. And so what's interesting is it's the exact same principles of branding and marketing strategies for finding clientele in any other sector also apply to the sex industry. There's a little bit of a joke within the escort community that the work in sex work isn't the sex, it's the admin. It's not uncommon to have 50-hour work weeks. Chasing down clients for additional screening information, reconfirming with their references, emails, writing ad copy for website updates, placing ads, social media management, meeting with your accountant, meeting with your tax attorney, doing the books. It just, it goes on and on and on. The sex is actually the least of it. Don't get it twisted though. Across a decade and a half, I have slept with a lot of people. I mean a lot. I don't really have a number, but it's up there. Of all that sex, I would say most of it falls in the category of unmemorable. (laughs) That's not so bad, though. I'm going to explain why. So on the left, we have the not good sex, the kind where there is no body connection, no emotional connection, unskilled lovers, bad with their hands, worse with their mouths, shockingly bad sex. So that's on the left. And on the right is what escorts commonly call a very good day at work. And sure, sex is cool. 
But have you ever had someone who is emotionally intelligent pay to take you on a trip around the world? I have. Through sex work and with clients, I have traveled through 24 countries. That's phenomenal. I mean, life-changing experiences. I'm so grateful for those. And it is one of my favorite bookings, travel bookings. I think my favorite date is the local activity-based experiences. Like wearing jeans in the jersey and drinking beer, getting rowdy at a hockey game. Planning the perfect picnic and going hiking and then skinny dipping. Renting a Land Rover and going stargazing. You know, cute dates, like visiting a local bookshop and going to the art gallery. There's like this pervasive idea that people who see sex workers are all miserable at home, have crazy fetishes, or they're so ugly and despicable they can't get dates. It has been my experience, though, with the men and women who spend time with me that they're all pretty normal. Whatever the fuck normal means, right? But I mean that they're well-balanced, emotionally intelligent, they're generous, they're kind, they have adventure of spirit. Majority of them being married, they also seem relatively happy at home, or at least content. There are so many reasons why people spend time with sex workers. But I think in the world of GFE and luxury travel companions, the main motivation is for connection and novelty. There are, of course, also the people who have ulterior motives, who are predators, and seek out seeing sex workers for pretty ugly reasons. I considered not talking about this at all because there is this rhetoric that the civilian public is pretty married to which is that sex work is inherently violent and sex workers are abused. That narrative is dangerous because it erases agency and it conflates sex work with trafficking or client sex with sexual assault or sex with rape. These things cannot be conflated because they are not one and the same. Does violence and do abuses happen against sex workers? Yes. Do they happen all the time? No. During my career, I have experienced physical and sexual violence at my job. It was not because of my work, though. These were traumatic and terrifying experiences. I had to take time off from work months. I worked with a therapist. I had to unpack and begin the healing process and understand what happened to me so that I could move forward. And even considering I was a victim of violence, I will still square up to anyone who tries to tell me that sex work is dangerous or that sex work is inherently violent. The fact that these things happened to me and I had no legal recourse because as a sex worker in the United States where prostitution is criminalized, I had no legal rights and I had no human rights. That is what is inherently violent. It's almost impossible to quantify the amount of opportunities that sex work has afforded me. The financial success, the people I've met, the places I've traveled to, and the deep friendships with the other women in the industry. I recently went under the radar, which means I took my website offline, not fully retiring, but pulling back, spending more of my time and my energy, dedicating it towards my other businesses I started, and on my art, and on my well-being. It's like I've hit this stride in my late 30s where I'm leaning into this idea of slow living and minimalism and intentionality and holistic wellness and just feeling really excited about whatever comes next. Written submission number two. I've been an escort for just over 10 years. I'm based in New York City. I primarily got into the industry to pay for my student loans and to earn enough to be able to leave an abusive household. I graduated in the aftermath of the financial crisis with a ton of debt and couldn't get a job in my field of study that would pay my basic expenses, much less my debt. Although I didn't start until my mid-twenties, I always knew from a young age that I'd likely end up in sex work, despite never knowing anyone in the industry. I just had a sense of knowing that it's what I would do if I was in a bind. I've worked both independently and with agencies, and being independent is my preference. I mostly get my clients from the internet. I keep all my money, the clients are better, and I have more control. It's a full-time business for me, so being independent also means I'm responsible for every aspect of my business. I have an assistant, accountant, and SEO manager all on the payroll to keep the business running smoothly. 
I advertise on multiple websites and run social media accounts myself. Safety and screening are paramount. My assistant used to be a private investigator and she has access to databases that civilians don't. She does a comprehensive background check and we also accept references and employment verification. My gut is the ultimate screening tool as often people show themselves in their initial approach. However, that doesn't mean that clients who present well always turn out to be safe or enjoyable to see. The opposite is also true. They could be terrible at email correspondence, but actually be so nice and engaging in person. Unfortunately, I have not been able to successfully convert anyone who has approached me into a client. They usually just want to date me for free, and they can't get over the mental hump of paying for my time. My most popular dates were typically two to three hours, but as I've just raised my rates, I'm getting more requests for longer dates, like six plus hours. For shorter dates, we meet either at a hotel or my apartment. The longer dates are usually lunch or dinner, as well as overnights. Those dates end up being mostly talking, not a multi-hour romp, so it's more emotional labor than physical. I definitely was not prepared to know what to do with the kind of money I made, but I didn't start out incredibly successful either. There were a lot of challenges at the beginning of my career, primarily because I was just figuring things out as I went along since I didn't know anyone I could ask. I definitely got scammed, lived a feast or famine type lifestyle as soon as I did start to earn, but since the pandemic started, I have really reformed and finally have a healthy savings and investments. I definitely feel the difference in how hard I have to work, in terms of my presentation, frequent photo shoots, etc., than my blonde and white cohorts. I've had clients say openly racist things to me, thinking they're being clever or funny. I've heard them insult me in a way they would never insult the two white girls joining me on that date in particular. But I was similarly fetishized and dismissed when I was working in my field of study, so... This is more a question of misogyny and male insecurity around women they are intimidated by than about sex work in particular. At least now, I'm paid much better and can make the choice to never see them again, whereas I did not have that power in the civilian workplace. I have no desire to lead a traditional life in any way. I do get burned out, as I have in my other work as well. I try to be proactive about my self-care so I can keep burnout at bay. I don't plan on retiring ever. I intend to increase my rates and minimums as I become busier with other endeavors. I am in the process of developing multiple income streams, including digital marketing, coaching, and eventually writing a memoir. The focus will be on personal development and how the industry taught me how to set boundaries and allowed me space to value and elevate myself and my life on my own terms. Hello, I'm Aspen Banks. I'm located in the San Francisco Bay Area. What got me into escorting was avoiding student debt. I hadn't really amassed any. My siblings and a lot of my close friends were absolutely drowning in debt, and I was working two jobs, trying to put myself through college, barely able to take two classes, and just realized this is not sustainable for me. The craziest experience I've ever had was definitely um, this trip to China. Uh, I have an assistant. She's like the glue to my life. She handles my calendar. Um, she'll help out with emails. I was in New York and got a request for like a three or four day trip to China. So last minute, she had to go literally break into my house. I gave her the combo to my safe. She got into my safe, got my passport dropped my passport off at the embassy and somehow managed to get me a visa. And then I had to like jet home, get my passport and then get on a plane to China, which was all madness. And then of course I get to China and we go out for dinner the first night and we were in separate hotels. I had like my own room in a completely separate hotel because he was, um, colleagues were staying with him in the hotel that he was at and he just didn't want anything to like look weird. Uh, we went out and met for dinner and then spend some time alone and then I went back to my hotel room and the next morning he calls me he's like I have horrible food poisoning like I can't even go into work he was there on a work trip I think he was just too embarrassed to like spend time with me he was super sick and I kept offering to like run to the pharmacy and grab meds for him or anything that he would need but I ended up just spending the next three days completely by myself in China and like went to museums and markets and 
lots of restaurants and I had a really fun time, but you know, my time was paid for and I was completely alone, which was <laughs> crazy. I find what most clients are looking for um, in an escort is genuinely just connection. There's a lot of misconceptions about men just looking for like some hot young thing uh, and for like a quick hookup and thinking with their dick instead of their brain. But a lot of men genuinely have trouble interacting with someone sexually if they don't feel like there's a connection. Like I've met a lot of people that have told me, you know, if they don't have a connection with someone, they're not going to be able to get an erection. <laughs> and also just dating is fun. I think people just want to go on fun dates and like go out to dinner and go out to drinks and flirt and like first kisses are fun. Like all of that stuff is fun. I think when people think about escorting, they think it's just going to be like porn, like this really graphic, quick, hurried sexual interaction. And it's not. Whether my clients are single or married or whatever, they're definitely always looking for something pretty genuine and someone that they really have a connection with um and those are the people that you know I maintain relationships with and I really care about and foster that it's all mental it's about like growing and spending time with someone and getting to be your like most vulnerable self and be really open and honest about your sexuality and your sexual interests and just who you are as a multifaceted human. I think a lot of men have been kind of told to bottle that up and shove it down and not talk about it. Um, and a lot of my clients have really opened up to me about their sexuality and who they are. And I'm really honored to be that safe space for them and someone that they can, that they want to spend substantial amounts of time with. I have not ever fallen in love with a client. And in all honesty, I think I'm a little sad that it's never happened. I've watched a lot of friends fall in love with their clients and even leave the industry for their clients and have like really deep, meaningful relationships with their clients. And I, you know, I've always kind of wished that that would happen to me too. It just, I guess it just hasn't been in the cards yet. No, I definitely don't have any desire for a more quote-unquote traditional lifestyle. So much of what I love about this industry is the fact that I have so much free time for my own hobbies and my social life and travel and I can really prioritize the things that matter to me. The lifestyle that I have been able to attain from doing sex work is one that I will prioritize for the rest of my life. It, it's very important to me to have that freedom. I do think retirement is in the cards for me at some point, but I have found when people retire, it's very much like a snap decision. They fall in love or they get a job where there's no way they could juggle both things or they get uh, outed to their family. It's always like a very quick turnaround point. So I do think if retirement's going to come up for me, it's not going to be some pre-planned thing like, oh, I need to retire by this date. Um, as far as it being a profession that I'd recommend, there's such a huge barrier to entry um, with all forms of sex work because, because of the stigma from society. Um, there's really no safe areas for people to really learn about the process of getting into sex work, and there's so many people happy to prey on that situation. And I think that's where we get this kind of false conflation of sex work and trafficking is because the more we stigmatize it and the more we make it inaccessible, the more people see those pockets where they can take advantage of people that are interested in getting into the sex industry. Um, I know that if I could go back and redo everything about how I started, I completely would. Any other job you can find resources and tools and guides and there's a bit of that online but it's all it's it's all a lot of smoke and mirrors and you can't really be blunt about what things are going to be like and I guess my primary advice for anyone who would be looking to start I mean make sure that that's really something that you understand all the implications of and I would say talk to as many people as you possibly can who are actually already in the industry and people that you admire what their life looks like in the industry because even if three people look identical and have the same website the way that they go about everything is just going to be different and be really true to yourself about what your boundaries are and what you want it to look like for you because it is it's different for everyone 
and just prioritize your safety above all else. If you ever feel uncomfortable, if you ever feel scared, if you ever feel in any way that someone is being advantageous with you, walk away. It's literally never worth it. Your peace of mind is the most priceless thing you have. I have been a companion for almost six years now. I primarily work out of Montreal, um, but also Toronto, and I'm actually currently in Vancouver. I came to this definitely out of necessity. Um, I was drugged and gang raped and hospitalized for many months, and my brain trauma was such that I couldn't really read um, or focus much, so I lost both of my jobs. I have met clients in the airport. I have met clients in the produce section of the grocery store. I've met clients at the gym, at the swimming pool, at the bar, um, technically in the after-school pickup. I met one client at church. The most thrilling experience with a client ever was a client I had spent many months with already was taking a hypnosis course as part of his kind of new life exploration after divorce and asked if he could try it with me. And whatever happened, happened. And I kind of was just like, wow, like, what is that feeling? What's going on right now? He said, well, I have both my fists in your ass. Uh, and so I made our friend take a picture because I didn't believe that that's what was going on and it hadn't happened before and certainly hasn't happened since. That was phenomenal. I have been taken to Texas for rodeo week. I've been flown to New York and London for musicals and shows. Um, I would say the most extravagant experience was for my birthday a couple of years ago. One of my dear clients rented a manor in England. Um, it was fully staffed, but it was just the two of us that went for three months. And I was like living my Downton Abbey, Pride and Prejudice, Bridgerton fantasy life. Um, it was our goal to have sex in every room and we didn't even come close. Am I embarrassed by this work? Not at all. And I tend to be very open and honest about it. I would say where I hesitate is in situations where I know that the conversation will take a lot of energy on my part. And in that sense, I will just avoid it. Like there are certain people in my life, such as my father, that will just never know the extent of the work that I do. And that's okay. And I think he's okay with that too. It's absolutely mandatory that prospective clients meet me uh, in public in daylight first. And that's, of course, after they've already sent me their ID and everything. If someone doesn't want to do that, then that's fine. I'm just not the person for them. I can also genuinely say that sexually speaking, I enjoy every encounter. Um, I am a great actress, but I do find that genuine chemistry and arousal impossible to fake to a degree. Uh, and it wouldn't be something I would want to do if I didn't enjoy myself. One of my most beloved clients, we meet at this beautiful hotel at the same time every day, every week. And he greets me with a kiss on the cheek. We proceed to have a bath or a shower together. Sometimes he, he would rather bathe me. Uh, and then we sit there in these plush robes and we order room service, usually tuna tartare and these ridiculously overpriced fries that we dip in mayo that comes in these adorable little bottles. And we talk about old movies and share new songs with each other. And I check in about his family. And then depending on the week and how he's feeling he will ask to go down on me. He is fantastic at what he does. The reason we do that is that his wife refuses to let him. And it's exquisite. It's so respectful and so wonderful and just so sweet. Most of my clients are not honest with their partners or spouses about this 
pursuit, I would say that is the piece that I struggle with the most just because I do like to be transparent about what I do. I am so lucky that I have a partner who is not only supportive, um, who also kind of enjoys the stories that I come home with and without question, no matter time of day, uh, will show up if there is a safety concern. I definitely have my location share on, which I recommend everyone do with at least a couple safe and trusted people as well as some good quick code words. My advice to someone considering this line of work would be that you can be the only one who sets your boundaries. Never negotiate or renege on them in the presence of another person, be that a client or otherwise. You can always negotiate after a situation on your own when you've had time to take a breath and a sleep on it. Um, There are very clever and creative and genuine ways that you can um, distract from that by saying like, oh, we can examine this later, but you know, that is it. There, there are very classy ways that you can navigate that without compromising a boundary that you have set for yourself. I would love to eventually evolve this into more of a madam coaching position as I would like to have kids and settle down into a bit of a more traditional situation. My partner and I are open. I don't think I will ever hang up kink and polyamory and and group situations as as sex is really just something I need as much as sleep. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, and those of you who identify as neither, my name is Allie Weiss, and this has been Tales of Taboo. If you yourself have an anonymous confession that you feel compelled to share with me, can be about anything, please let me know. My email is ali at aliweisworld.com. You can also DM me on Instagram at aliweisworld. However, those DMs get clogged up real fast with castings and also with really scary love and hate mail. If you love this show, if it resonates with you, please take literally five seconds, like actually five seconds, and leave me a rating and review on any platform you're listening from, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You have the ability to do it on both platforms. And it is the only way that you can be guaranteed good karma for the next 50 years. I am really looking forward to seeing and hearing from you guys next week. As always, your time and attention and care and willingness to be open with me is the only reason that I get out of bed in the morning, not to put too much pressure on you, but it is true. So until we meet again, be good.